When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So we're in a massive turbulence right now. Nobody really knows what's up. And so we're going to talk about branding. <laughs> so you're going, okay, why, why are we talking about branding? Well, branding, when you think about it, you think about the big companies, the companies that really have a brand, and you go, well, they've done great during the pandemic. So uh, I'm very excited to be talking about, I think this is the number one issue. Actually, I think this is the number one issue for most accounting firms is brand. And I'm probably the only person only CPA on earth who believes that's the number one issue for CPAs. But I, I truly do. And we've got an ex- branding expert, uh, Deb Gabor. Um, and she assures me there's no relationship to Jaja Gabor. And what Deb doesn't know is that there's enough people listening to this podcast to actually know who Jaja and Ava Gabor were. So, um, but with that, uh, Deb, welcome to the show. And if you would just give us uh, just uh, a minute about your background. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm really glad to be here. And I love talking to CPAs. I think before we started, I told you, I have a passion for really unsexy businesses and unsexy categories, making them sexy. So a little bit about my background. Uh, I have been doing this work for, oh gosh, 31 years. I know it's hard to believe that I have a career that spans more than 30 years, but I've been doing this for a really, really long time. And I grew up in an almost completely brandless existence, which led me to a place that when I left home at 17, that's when I had my first McDonald's hamburger. It's the first time I had brand name running shoes, all of that. I became obsessed with this idea that having a brand that became part of the buyer's identity would be something that could create a condition where products and services that were virtually indistinguishable or even less good than others could command a premium price because of the brand. And so my belief on branding is very much that the best brands in the world, they do three things. They aim their brand at a singular, ideal, archetypal customer. They become part of that person's identity, like they become part of what they wear, who they are, how they show up in the world, and then they make that person a hero in their own story. So that led me to, I mean, I spent the first part of my career working for other people and sort of having laboratories inside of really, really big companies to build uh, marketing and brand strategies. And then the second half of my career really has been defined by having my own brand strategy research and marketing firm 
And I've written a couple of best-selling books on branding that are pretty popular. The first one being Branding is Sex, Get Your Customer Laid and Sell the Hell Out of Anything. And then the newest book, Irrational Loyalty, Building a Brand that Thrives in Turbulent Times. Awesome. Well, well, thank you. And I like the idea of ir irrational loyalty. So we were talking earlier before, before we started recording, and I said, you know, in my mind, there are only four brands uh, for the most part. You, 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 you can think the average person pro could probably name one of four CPA brands, and that would be the big four, right? right. KPMG, Pricewaterhouse, et cetera. Um, CPAs, I think tend to think, well, I'm just going to get referrals anyway, so branding doesn't really matter. Why? Why do you? Why do you think branding brand should matter to a CPA? Yeah. So you mentioned irrational loyalty, and I think it's helpful if we give everybody a level set on what we mean by branding and what is the role of irrational loyalty. So branding to me, when I talk about branding, I am not talking about just the name or the likeness or the logo, sure. like the brand that you see on the surface, like, you know, I have a brand on the arm of my sweater right now. That is like the very tip of the iceberg. That is sort of just a, a visual representation of the brand that is a shortcut for the story of the organization and the people behind the brand. Creating this condition of irrational loyalty, which is where people are so indelibly bonded to a brand that they feel like they were cheating on it, is essential in any kind of professional services business, right? And irrational loyalty, just as an example, um, I always tell the story of Bluebell ice cream. I'm from Texas. Um, and I, I don't know if you know about Bluebell ice cream. I know Bluebell ice cream. Very, I went to school in Texas. I went to uh, University of Texas. I didn't know. Ah, okay. Well, hook them. Um, I did not go to the University of Texas, but uh, I like, I spend part of my time in Austin, Texas. So I live right there in the backyard of, of the University of Texas in Austin. Um, and then I like, I spend the rest of my time. I'm at my home in Utah right now. So I'm like sort of, you know, here and there. But Bluebell ice cream is like a religion in Texas. If you're from Texas, you know that Bluebell is more than just ice cream, right? Bluebell ice cream a couple of years ago had a listeria breakout in one of their plants. Three people died as a result of eating this tainted bacteria laden ice cream and, and eight people got really sick. And what the Bluebell organization did was they created a world where they put customers first. They pulled everything off the shelves. They conducted an in-depth investigation. They took full responsibility for everything that happened. It was later found out that there was actually a cover-up that had taken place among the leadership team. Yet, when this brand came back on the market, a couple of years later, people were lined up out the door, down the street, around the corner to get their hands on a half gallon of ice cream. And it was just vanilla, right? There is nothing rational about that kind of love of ice cream, or there's nothing rational about my love for my, for my iPhone. I've owned every eye thingy there ever was. Yet I know that there is superior technology out there that functions better, it's faster, more durable glass, which is a problem for a klutz like me, you know, all of these different things yet, I feel dirty if I choose an alternative. And so this condition of irrational loyalty comes from this foundation of brand strategy. And so for CPAs and really anybody who is in any kind of professional service with with any kind of a business owner or even you know people for their for personal needs the brand is the person and the organization. The brand is the culture. The brand is a set of values and beliefs that are aimed at the customer who is most ideally suited to your business. And I think that branding is so important in, in this realm, for sure. 
Let, let's talk about that. So I want to talk about two things. One is uh, taking a commodity and turning mm-hmm. it into a brand because uh, a lot of people perceive CPA work as a commodity. I mean, doing a tax return. It's I a mean, must have. It's a like shopping basket. Do a tax you return, have to have right? one. I mean, and it's not... Yep. And it's not even any value, right? Or, uh, you know, how hard is it to do bookkeeping? How hard is it? You know, I can teach my monkey to do bookkeeping. I can teach a computer to do bookkeeping. You know, why, you know, why do I need one person versus another? I might as well go for the cheapest, right? And yet we have Chiquita Bananas, right? We have um, uh, Dasani Water, which I think is the worst water on earth. Um, I mean, we have all of these, we have these brands of truly commodities that literally have no distinguishing features. So I, I think that's an interesting idea, but I wanna get back to something you just said, and you talked about the customer. And I know in your book, you talk a lot about the customer and the customer focus. Um, how important is you is it for you to know who you want for a customer? Oh, it's essential. And so we call that the ideal customer archetype. And this is one of the more, I'll say, controversial aspects of the methodology that we use and that I write about and I speak about, um, is the idea of aiming your brand at the singular ideal archetypal human being who is most highly predictive of your success as an organization. I run a professional services firm, right? I have a services firm. I have a bunch of employees. We work with tons of clients every year. I know when we are not working with an ideal customer when a couple things happen. One is I have people rocking back and forth at their desks or reaching in for their bottle of wild turkey. We have a lot of hair loss going on. We are over-servicing accounts, right? We are doing write-offs because we have billable hours that we can't charge to anybody. We have a lot of dissatisfaction. We have trouble merchandising our results and things like that. So it is so important to figure out who is the actual human being. And so in complex business situations, sometimes there's a a set of people who are purchase influencers. The ideal customer is who is the person among that group of people that you most have to influence, the person who is going to use the brand. And what we what we want people to do is actually envision who that human being is. So think about not just their demographic or say firmographic characteristics. Maybe you're a CPA that specializes in working with fintech companies in uh, fast growing industries, you know, where, where the companies are of a certain size. Well, there's probably a very, very special person within that organization who would hire out your CPA firm. Think about who that human being is. And if you've worked with this person before, conjure up an image of them in your mind, right? It's not just a demographic or firmographic profile, but it's attitudes, behaviors, psychographics. I actually make my clients draw a picture of who this person is. If they're a good listener, give them big ears. If they have a lot of money at their disposal, they stand on a big pile of money. The ideal customer for my company is a woman named Lindsay, who's the chief marketing officer of a mid-cap software company that is in growth mode, international. She's in above her head. She's super, super innovative. She's results-oriented. She's very goal-oriented, but also she has a lot at stake to get it right. And she doesn't need marketing services. She needs a kick in the pants right? I can see her coming. I also, because I know her so well, and everyone in the company knows who she is, we can screen in people like that by 
aiming directly at their values and beliefs and saying, you have, you have a lot at stake to get it right. You don't want a marketing team that you have to tell them what to do. You need someone to push you and drive you to propel you so that you can get the results that you're being measured on. I can message that directly to more and more Lindsay's. So for CPA firms, like there is probably the, you know, the benefit of working in a professional services business is you've seen these people before. And like, maybe it's Steve or maybe it's Jeff or maybe it's Susan, but really knowing that allows you to connect deeply with their values and beliefs and what their needs are. That's the only thing that stands out in a commoditized industry. I I, I get that. I think the big fear is, um, well, wait a minute, then I'm limiting my customer base. I'm limiting who I'm after and I won't have nearly as many customers. And can you just address that? Because I'm, I, I'm sure we're on the same page on that. Um, it's taken me a long time. I started, so I started my first CPA firm about uh, 30 years ago um, after coming out of one of the big four. And what I, I just wanted clients, right? I didn't care. And I was starting a business. I was You're feeding like- a family. I was feeding a family of four and was just starting a business. So, you know, that's a hard thing to do. Over the years, I've learned that just the opposite, that actually you grow your business so much faster, so much better when you know exactly who you're targeting. But why do you think that's so important that it's okay? How do you overcome that fear of, well, I'm going to lose out on all these other clients? Oh my goodness. It's, and it's, it's a lesson that's really hard learned by those of us who are entrepreneurs who started our own businesses. Right. Uh, you know, and I have a similar story when I started my business 18 years ago, I was like, I'm going to fish where the fish are. Anybody who wants to buy these kinds of services from me, the, the, and, and I will say this just to underscore what you're saying, how important this is. I literally have worked with thousands of brands over my career in every category, in every market of the world. When organizations scale rapidly, more profitably and with less drama, it's because they've identified this ideal customer and they have doubled down on it. So there is empirical proof to this. So don't just believe what Tom says. Don't just believe what I say. Like this, this is a phenomenon that happens. The, the, the fear, like the FOMO of, I'm not going to get to work with this one crappy client over here can easily be overcome when you calculate the opportunity cost associated with the bigger fish who is more strongly aligned with the magic that you deliver, right? Brands have to be singular. The thing that makes those big four accounting brands singular is that they're well known, that that they're, you know, that they stand for something, that they are clear, they're consistent. I mean, at least uh, I, I think all four of those brands show up year after year after year on that most valuable global brands list every year. There are brands on there. When you look at the top five brands, it's like, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, et cetera. But KPMG is right up there. They're always in the top 25. And that is because they are known for something. They're known to be the gold standard of something. People understand it. They get it innately. It is it becomes part of their identity. People get bragging rights. Like as a, as a business leader, if I say like that, I use one of these big four accounting firms, people are like, Ooh, girl, look at you. Right. Versus I have a great CPA firm that I've been working with for 18 years. And I'm so irrationally loyal to these people, mainly because my CPA who retired two years ago comes out of retirement every year to do my taxes. Right. 
just because she loves what she does and she has a passion for businesses like mine. And she has enjoyed being right beside me as I've grown the footprint of this business over the years. That's her values, her beliefs, makes her stand out. Also, you know, she built a business on in Austin, Texas. We have a film, we have a pretty big film industry there. She works with like all the famous people, you know, Robert Rodriguez and Richard Linklater and, you know, Matthew McConaughey and people like that. Like the, you know, she has really, really honed in on the creative class and on people who are growing sustainable businesses within the creative class. That's what she stands for. And, and that's, you know, giving that focus creates that singularity and, and the, what you're known for. And so the last thing I want to say about that, I know you're trying to jump in here with a question, but I can't say this enough. The strongest predictor of whether or not someone will buy your brand is if they can name it off the top of their head. And it's not just brand awareness. Like you get to this level of top of mind awareness by having something that's clear, that's understandable, and that's meaningful and has the power to become part of somebody's identity. So that example I gave of like, I'm a business leader. And if I say, ooh, KPMG is my firm and people are like, ooh, you go girl. That is a certain je ne sais quoi that comes only from a brand and a brand experience. No, there's no question. I mean, even when... I remember coming out of school at the University of Texas and, uh, you know, we interviewed, there were, it was eight then, right? It was the big eight, yeah. not, not what we call the final four now. And, and, but we knew every single one had a different culture. They were serving different types of clients. And yeah, that, if you that, want to be like this or do like this, right. you I go mean, to example, this. Firm. I remember very well. I mean, I, I interviewed with Arthur Anderson. I'm going, I, I do not belong here. You know, other people, I've got buddies who worked for Arthur Anderson and long after it went down, they said, I'm so proud that I worked for Arthur Anderson. I'm going, so it didn't, it didn't make me, you know, didn't get me excited, right? That was not the brand I wanted. So, but, but so many accounting firms, I find, I I call them cheesecake factory firms because they, they offer a wide variety of services at a mediocre, at a, at a, at a moderate price and it's all mediocre. And they've done nothing to distinguish themselves because they want to be everything to everybody. How do you narrow that down so that you go, look, I don't have to be everything to everybody. I can be exactly who I am to this group and I'm going to make way more money. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer this like through a, a really quick story. So I boil the branding methodology down to like, you know, four things, right? So the ideal customer, who's your ideal archetypal customer, the, the next thing are what I call the three brand questions. The first question is, what does it say about that person that they use this firm? The second question is, what is the one thing they get from us they don't get from anyone else? And the third is, how does our firm make them a hero in their own story? So I run a professional services firm. I have a brand strategy, market research, marketing firm. There are 150 other firms in Austin, Texas, who do exactly what I do. You can't swing a cat around your head and not hit 149 other people who who are Deb Gabor. When, When we go through the process of figuring out what's the one thing, what it all comes down to is that what my firm brings to the table, yeah, we can do all the things. Like we, like you look at the list of the services we offer, check, 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 check. And if we didn't offer those services, people would defect. They would say like, all right, so it's an accounting firm that doesn't do math. Like what? Right. But accounting firms all the time. By the way, that, that, that's, 
it's disgusting, but I actually do. Yeah. But I mean, like, so, so I always, I always tell people, you know, just an aside, go to your company website. And if the first word on the website is either your company name or the word we, you're doing it wrong because your brand is about people. So going to that question of like, what really makes a brand singular? It's the answer to that question. What's the one thing you get from us that you don't get from anyone else? My closest competitor in Austin, Texas literally works right across the street from me. There's a busy road between our two buildings. I see her sign every day when I stand at my desk and, and it makes me crazy crazy yet. We have never, ever, ever competed for a client. We have never been in a competitive pitch. We have never, like, I've never received a phone call when I've asked the question, like, what other firms are you considering? I've never received a phone call that said that they were considering hers. That is because she has the goal of being Austin's favorite marketing agency, right? I have the goal of, I'm on a million brand mission. I want to take a disruptive dark horse brand and make them a top five global brand. That means I don't work with Austin companies. I don't work with the flower shop down the road. I don't, I don't work with people who are building lifestyle businesses, right? And the one thing that people get from us, they don't get from her. She's Austin's favorite, right? That's her goal. Everything she does, her whole business model is built around being Austin's favorite. It's about like, it's about being loved. It's about taking orders. It's about delivering. What people get from us, because I want to take a dark horse brand and propel it to be a top five global brand, they're going to get a kick in the ass. They're going to get pushed. They're going to get challenged. They're going to get led. And this is where brands really, really start to differentiate. It's, it's on this idea of like that singular thing. Legendary brands are singular. That's why a Tesla is a Tesla and, and not a crappy Mazda even though they offer the same functional and emotional benefits. And they look a lot alike. They do. Even they do. Even, even though. So, you know, I, I, I love this discussion um, because what I hear from you is it, for your brand, and this isn't everybody, but for your brand, you're not afraid to tell the customer what they need to do. You're not afraid to tell them what they need to stop doing. And, and you're not afraid to call them out. And I find that's the same we actually, with my little CPA firm, so I have a CPA firm as well as WealthAbility, and in my CPA firm, we're very much that way. I'm going, I'm not going to put up with, you, you don't, no, that's not how we behave. That's not what you're going to do. This is not what, what what's going to happen. And if you're, and if you want to do that kind of stuff, that's fine. I'll give you a referral to somebody else because I'd that's like not put, what like, we for, do. Yeah. So for a firm like yours, it's like putting a velvet rope around what you do, exactly. right? And this is kind of the essence of branding, where you can say, we are the CPA firm for people who, who do this and who think like this and who want this and all that kind of stuff. I, like, I pre-screen clients all the time in the business development process where, where I forecast to them, this is what it's going to feel like to work with us. When you go through a brand strategy process, you're going to have to let go of some of the sacred cows and maybe even some of the sacred people who have been part of your organization who are not aligned. This is an alignment building exercise exercise. And I've never been through one of these successfully where we didn't lose some people either on their own volition or they were asked to pursue excellence elsewhere. Are you ready to do the hard work of branding that's going to transform your business and actually allow you to take your $500 million company to a billion dollars in two years? Because that's going to require you to show up and make choices and make hard decisions. Are you ready to do hard things? I sometimes get clients who say, we don't have the stomach for that. 
We really don't. We are not laying new tracks. We are putting train, like we're putting the same trains on the same tracks and running them on the same schedule. Then I say, then we are not the firm for you. But I, lo I love to encourage people who are, especially in the CPA world, put a velvet rope around what you do and say, you are like this and we are for people like that. Or we are like this and you are not. And we, we, you will be more successful with somebody who will just maintain the status quo, who will just run the trains on time. Like, if you want to lay new tracks, then you work with me. This is the reason why I tell that story about my competitor. The reason I consider her my competitor, even though we don't compete, is like when you look at like the lists, you right. know, the, the largest firms in Austin or the biggest business, uh, women-owned businesses and whatever, she and I are always like neck and neck. And we have a very uh, a very friendly co-opetition, but it's kind of a joke between us where I'm like, yeah, we never compete for clients. I've referred people that way all the time because I'm yeah, like, you'd be a why, better fit for them. Why, why wouldn't you? So, so one last thing I kind of want to get at, and that is when, when we're doing sales, which branding leads to, the whole idea of branding is lead to sales, right? Mm -hmm. But I find that people are looking for a crack. They're looking for some reason not to buy. Mm -hmm. Okay, They're not looking for a reason to buy. All right. You've hopefully given them that reason in all of your marketing and PR and so forth. What they're looking for is a reason not to buy. Mm -hmm. How does brand impact um, closing off those cracks um, in, in, in who you are as a firm? Uh, I, I think that's where irrational loyalty comes in. And, you know, you can like look back over the the long, dark months of the pandemic and lots and lots of businesses and products and services that people couldn't even fully use for whatever reason. Yet people maintained this feeling of irrational loyalty towards those brands, even when they couldn't use them. Um, this idea of irrational loyalty is it it builds it builds the brand to a place where there is so much innate trust and identity alignment that it almost wouldn't matter what you do. Irrational loyalty is like this. It's like the interpersonal relationships that we have, like with a spouse or a loved one or a child or something like that. Irrational loyalty is the thing that every time we behave on brand for each other, we make deposits into a shared emotional bank account and the equity in that bank account grows. When the equity gets high enough that when somebody does a bad job of loading the dishwasher, for instance, that's the thing that prevents you from divorcing them, right? And I've come close many, many times. But, um, but, you know, so, so um, the, the reason not to is when people have such an innate trust and positive emotional equity in this shared bank account that they have with your brand, then they're going, then, then they can process through, here are all the reasons not to, but you know what? Innately, I trust in what I share with this brand. I trust in what I share with this brand. This brand is actually part of me and I'm willing to set that thing aside. The, you know, the inevitable, I like, I, I feel like we have great relationships with our clients, but sometimes things get screwed up. You miss a deadline. There's a typo in a deliverable, all that kind of stuff. It, but they trust in the brand so much and what they came to the brand for that one thing. They're like, yes, I'm getting propelled towards my goal at all costs. And you know what? We can overcome a typo. Like we can, like we can overcome a missed deadline or whatever. I mean, my CPA firm a couple of years ago, they forgot to file. Uh, I want to say it was like 
uh, state franchise return or something. They didn't file it on time. And I got, I got some kind I got a little penalty or whatever. And it's not like, yeah, it gave me pause, but we had a conversation about it. Right. And I look at the total package, the total picture, like the long-term sustained pattern of shared values and predictable behaviors between us that I was like, I trust that this is never going to happen again, but also I trust there's going to be some other mistake down the road and we're going to be okay because underneath it all, you're making me a hero in my own story. You know, I have aggressive goals. You know that I need, like, for for me, a person with a growing and scaling business, like, super, super clean books is, like, probably the most important thing to me. Like, Architectural Digest needs to be able to show up at my house any day, right? That's how I feel about my books. And knowing that that there's someone who shares that belief with me, I know in the end they have my best interest at heart. And so that's where that irrational loyalty comes from. So important for CPAs. So, so, so important. And the barrier to entry today to like be in any business, like the barriers to entry have been like really, really lowered. Uh, You know, uh, people are putting themselves on the internet, calling themselves experts, like little firms are popping up all over the place, looking to serve your business faster, cheaper, all of that and whatever. You have to have a brand to be able to create that sort of competitive moat around you. It allows you to charge a premium for your service. It allows you to be choosy about who you work with. And it allows you to be in your zone of genius and do your magic as an organization, serving the best most profitable clients because like who really cares about it if at the end of the day your marketing doesn't sell i love it i love it love it love it so okay in closing top three actions uh cpas love to take action top three actions that a cpa can do to uh develop build enhance their brand number one figure out who your ideal customer is Figure out who that ideal archetypal customer is, like who is the client. And it may look like a unicorn to you because you could be just starting out or you're floating around. You're like, I don't understand like why I can't like find the right one. Really, really dig into like who that person is, hook, line, and sinker, not just demographically or firmographically, but psychographically, attitudinally, behaviorally, like what do they look like? What kind of shoes do they wear? Like, what do they do for fun? What's important to them? What are they measured on? What makes them sweat ice cubes at night? What makes them feel sexy? All of those different things, like really, really get to know that person. So that's number one. Number two, answer the question. What does it say about that person that they work with me? What does it say about them that they hire my firm? I like, I gave the example KPMG. It was like, oh, you go girl. You must be really like, you must be hot stuff. If you got KPMG on your side, right? Like, what does it say about them that they use your brand? Next action, figure out the answer to this question. And it's the hardest question to answer, but the most important, what's the one thing that they get from you that they can't get from anyone else? Here's a hint, CPAs, here's a hint. It's never a feature. It is never, ever a feature. It's a superpower. It's an essence. It's like I gave the example for my own company. It's the kick in the ass. Like, what is the one thing that you get from from them you can't get from anyone else? And then the final thing, really make your brand about that customer. How do you make them a hero in their own story? 
if you only do one of those things, like I gave you four things, if you only do one, do the ideal customer one, because it will give you this relentless focus and it will give you clarity. The idea of these ideal customer drawings is to be able to like close your eyes and see in your third eye, like who, who is this person? What do they look like? That's why I make clients draw no, I love it. Thank you so much. Deb Gabor, Irrational Loyalty. Uh, where can we find you for more information? Go to debgabor.com. Also, I want to let your audience know that all of these exercises that I've talked about and more, they're available for free download from that website. So like go download the exercises. They'll walk you through all of this methodology. You will get done doing your worksheets and you'll have the strategic foundation of your brand. And then, you know, you can also, you can submit a request to meet with me or, you know, send me a note or tell me I'm full of crap or whatever. You can do all those things through the website, but access to my books, um, speaking videos, but those, those digital downloads, uh, fully interactive PDF exercises. And I I want as many people to have them as possible. Awesome. So thank you so much, Deb. Uh, super, super conversation. Just remember, brand is so important. Um, you know, if, if, if most CPAs don't have a brand, it's a, it's a really hard thing for us to get our arms around. But when we do have a brand, uh, I'll tell you what happens because it's, it's fun. It's, it happens to me every day. What happens is you end up with better clients, a better practice, and believe me, a better life. We'll see you next time. Thanks. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>